about is that this is for all event planners. The Office of Special Events um, works primarily with events that happen outside, um, but when we're talking about risks um, and safety, it is, it is prevalent both inside venues, outside venues, and it looks like a lot of you do both anyway. So the information that we have, um, we hope, is, is going to help uh, prepare both of you, both inside and outside. So our panel, uh, or our, the city took the time, we spent hours and hours looking at what we could put in front of you all to help to educate you, to inspire you, to motivate you. We want you to look at your events differently. We want you to think about your events differently. We want you to make decisions, hopefully, differently. Maybe about your budget, maybe about what you spend things on, maybe how you plan, what streets you end up choosing. Maybe not choosing too many streets, choosing less streets, barricades. We want you to start thinking about your event separately. Um, right now, there we know across the country there's no science in how to, how to plan the perfect event. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, all we can do is be smart, be educated, and do the best we can to prepare. I'm not the expert on preparations, and that's why we have um, Denver's safety agencies here. Um, we have a pretty amazing um, panel. Our goal is for you all to be successful, for you to leave here knowing more than when you came here. If, whether it's a small thing, whether it's a large thing, what you learn here potentially could save your event, it could save lives. We don't know. We just know that uh, right now in the state our country is right now um, and the things that are happening and the unknowns that are happening, we just want to give you as much information as possible. So we have tasked our safety agencies and the experts within our safety agencies um, to really look at their individual worlds, fire and police and emergency management and paramedics, um, to really look at their worlds and bring information to you all today to make differences in your planning, to, as, as we said, inspire and motivate you. And if there was an underlying theme today, it would be we want you, so think about this, we want you for the event you plan this year needs to be different from the event you planned last year. Whatever that event is, whatever preparations that you are uh, diving into, the event you plan this year should not be the event you planned last year. And we hope that we can bring enough information to you today um, to move you down that path. We're not going anywhere. The City of Denver is fully committed to providing you with as much information as we can, as much support as you can, as we can. So we want to be a resource for you, but there's lots of resources out there. So we're gonna tap your, um, your knowledge right now, we're gonna add to it, and then we're gonna send you down the road where there's other, maybe other information that you can find out about this. Um, so I'm not going to be the only voice. I'm, I'm probably the least important voice um, today. Um, we're we're going to have uh, a number of agencies here. First, we're going to have our, our planning partners, um, the Office of Emergency Management and Homeland Security. They're going to be speaking a lot for you today. We have um, our event experts in the Denver Police Department, in the Denver Fire Department. We have our partners at... Denver Health Paramedics Division. We have Kayak, which you're going to learn what that means. Um, uh, we have the cell here. We have we have, and we and we actually brought in someone, uh, a team you probably all know, but we brought in an actual Denver special event 
um, who has done a phenomenal job at um, creating their own emergency plan. So they are going to share with you what they have done and what they thought through. Um, so, and there's more. There's more information, but we just wanted to, I just wanted to give you a layout of the kind of information you're going to have today. We've never done this before. This is a first for us. We, we put it at the top of our list for 2018. We're prioritizing event safety. Um, in however we can. And we're going to learn from you. We're hoping that you can give us some feedback, um, what was most important, what you, what you got from this, what your takeaways are. And we'll talk about that at the end of the session. But we want your attention. Hope you guys have some note paper to take notes on. You were probably given some index cards. Write your questions down. We're going to have um, microphones, Anika, and someone else are going to be running up and down with microphones. We are taping this, Channel 8. Thank goodness, saw the value in this and um, are taping it. So we'll have a, a link that you can watch it over and over. Um, you can send it to friends. Um, it will be aired on Channel 8. We'll get that scheduled from you all. But because we're on Channel 8, um, don't ask a question without a mic because we want to make sure that we capture that and that everybody can hear both in this room and then on the cameras. Um, so let's, do you guys all have an agenda? Hopefully. All right, I'm going to... We don't have it up there, sorry. Um, just going to quick run through the agenda. Um, I'm going to sit down. We're going to bring up the Office of Emergency Management um, Executive Director, and he's going to talk about risks. Um, this is the, the key portion of this where you really understand what risks are out there. Um, so be ready for your mind to be blown, pretty much. Um, then we're going to bring up David Powell from um, Emergency Management, and he's going to talk about actually creating an emergency plan. So there's a lot of things that you can do and things that you can think about, but creating an emergency plan is certainly at the top of those lists. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's going to come up and talk to you about that. Then we're going to bring up um, Rex and Carol from Pride Fest, and they are going to talk to us about their plan. Um, and we're excited to hear about that. Thank you guys for coming. Um, and then we are going to take a break. We've got coffee. We've got food. We know this runs until 1 o'clock, but we wanted to pack in as much as possible. So go back out. Take a 20-minute break. Panelists, stay in the room. We need to talk to you between the breaks. Um, and then when you come back in, it's going to be more interactive. We're going to ask you to try and save your questions if you can. If there's something super important, um, raise your hand and we'll see if we can get to it. Not that your question is not important, but if you can, write it on your index card um, and save it so you don't forget what that question is. If we're running ahead, we'll take questions in that moment. But if not, write them on your um, uh, index card and we will um, make sure to capture your questions. So Cree just walked in the room. You have to tell us how many years you've planned events because there's a competition earlier. Okay, so do you do, you got to do the math. Well, okay, you're beat. We had a 56-year event planner. Well, you came close. Well, welcome to, welcome, great. Um, so uh, when you come back from the break, it's going to be a little bit more interactive. We're going to have all of our um, safety agencies doing some, prepar um, some presentations on special event planning and what you can do and how you can think about your event differently and how you can make, uh, you know, the kinds of things, the considerations. Is it more water bottles or is it barricades? You know, what kind of things can you start changing in your mind? We know that there may be costs related to this, um, and we have no policies right now that reflect uh, the changes that we're looking at. So right now, education is, our, is the most important tool, is for you to just start thinking differently. 
um, so that you have the most successful event. So we're going to have the, the panelists talk about their specific agency, and then we're going to have more of a Q&A, and that'll be almost an hour. So those questions that you kept track of on your index cards, questions that come up, then we'll, go, we'll have the agencies up here and you'll be able to ask them questions. We've got some questions prepared already. Um, if you hand your questions to Anika or one of us, then we can start with those questions right off the bat. Um, but our goal is to make sure that you have the opportunity to ask as many questions as possible in this setting. Um, after that, we will wrap up and head out uh, by one o'clock, maybe sooner, I'm not quite sure. So I'm going to um, do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, restrooms out this door all the way over to the right, um, and then no food or drinks in here, although I have water, so I guess I'm illegal. So, so no food or drinks in here. Um, um, <laughs> No other food or drinks. So just don't bring your coffee and uh, uh, snacks in here. So right now I'm going to turn it over to Ryan Broughton. He's the Executive Director for the Office of Emergency Management and Homeland Security. And take it away. So don't worry, there's nobody actually grading you on whether you have food or drinks in here because I'm going to be drinking throughout, so... I'll set the example. <clears throat> so uh, I was, when Stacy and I uh, started talking about this, the idea was we wanted to make sure that we're sharing with you what the city prepares for, uh, how we do business uh, in the city and county of Denver, but also make sure that you actually got to introduce the people that are, would actually respond to uh, and manage uh, incidents at, um, whether it's an indoor venue or an outside venue. With that said, the plan is not 911. 911 is not a plan. Um, and if that's one thing that I hope that the panel carries through is that we are all here to work together, but those events are your events. And we can't fix every problem that, that pops up. Uh, a lot of that is about the event planning and making sure that you're prepared and that you can warn people because trust me, you can warn people quicker than we can. You can respond to them quicker than you can because you're already on scene, you're already there. So uh, one of the national uh, mottos is, you're the first responder until the first responders arrive. You're the first one. So we want you to think that way as you're looking through your plan, that just saying, I'm going to call 911 is not going to fix your problems. Um, it's not going to fix your liability problems. It's not going to fix the, that people get injured or killed prior to uh, the arrival of first responders. If you're lucky enough to have responders on scene when it happens, um, that's great but they'll be overwhelmed very quickly, and they need your help. They need a good plan that says, can, do you know who can cancel your event, who can postpone an event, who can uh, delay a start? Uh, those things, those are decisions that have to be made, and we're going to ask you to make those decisions, and if you don't make those decisions, somebody's going to make them for you, and that's not going to be pleasant either, so we want to, it's always easier to do that in the preparation phase. So a little about uh, Denver and how uh, I see Denver as an emergency manager. So when we talk about Denver, you know, Mile High City, so uh, automatically it has some issues because we have people come up here from the coast and think that they can run as fast or drink as much as they, uh, or smoke as much as they uh, did before. Um, we have about 682,000 residents. That changes on a minute-by-minute -minute basis uh, as people move in here with about a 45% change in population this uh, century. So in the last 18 years, uh, about 45% growth. 
uh, $180 billion metro economy, which is about the same as Greece or New Zealand, uh, with 67,500 businesses in our 155 square miles. Now, to give you an idea, if you went down to find another place that has about 680, 690,000 residents, it would be like El Paso County. Um, and El Paso County uh, has 2,000 square miles more to work with than we do, with the exact, almost the same population. Meanwhile, about a million people work here every day. Um, so that's, that's a big piece. Plus, we have our 20,000 acres of mountain parks. So we have, uh, anybody been to Winter Park? By the way, I tend to be interactive, so you're, feel free to like respond. Uh, otherwise, it's just me looking at you. Um, you've been to Winter Park, you've been to Red Rocks? Okay, well, those are Denver city and county. So they just happen to be in another county, surrounded by another county. Um, so Genesee, our Buffalo, the Bison Herd, those are all Denver assets. And so when we look at Denver, we look at that Denver extending into across, what, about seven different counties. Um, sixth busiest U.S. airport, 18th busiest in the world, about 58, uh, I think, uh, million passengers last year. Um, that makes us, you know, on par with the, the largest airports in, in the world. Um, and about 35 billion of those people stay here overnight. Big thing for emergency managers is to think about the geographic isolation. And when I talk geographic isolation, we are at the end of everything. I don't know if you realize how unique it is to live in a metropolitan city that is a thousand miles or more from water. It just doesn't happen. We're one of the five uh, most geographically isolated major cities in the world. It just doesn't happen in, in most places. In fact, 82% uh, uh, of the entire world lives within 200 miles of the coast. We are, yeah, 200 miles of the coast doesn't, that's, that's not 1,000 miles away, that's over 1,000 miles away. So keep in mind that geographic isolation, all of our fuel is largely produced here. Over 50% of our gas and everything else are produced locally at one refinery. We're at the end of every power line we're at the end of every telecommunications line, or we're the pass-through point. 76% of every transcontinental call or email traffic goes through the city and county of Denver. So all the pipelines, the rail, everything comes through here and then goes out. So when you consider that, consider that you might have to think about, none of you probably plan for a hurricane, right? Okay, because if we have a hurricane, other people have really big problems. Um, same thing with tsunamis. Uh, by the time I have a tsunami problem, everybody else's problems are gone. Uh, so when we, bring, when we talk about risk, I want you to think that you don't plan for that because you don't have those conditions. However, you're in one of the top 10 for hail damage and severe, uh, severe weather, uh, especially insured loss. So that's something that you're going to plan for that maybe somebody else doesn't. But you should also think about things like power outages and utility failures that we see as a city to, to your event. Because again, you are at the distant end of every single line. When it, by the time it gets to you, that power, th those phone calls have traveled thousands of miles in most cases. 19th largest US city, uh, when we talk about population, everybody talks about 682. That's how many people decide to live here uh, that's not how many people work here. We have about a million people, or about one-fifth of Colorado's population, in our city in any one workday. You, you throw a special event in there, you've increased that uh, exponentially. Um, inside our metro area, 2.9 million people. If you throw in Boulder, because they're their own metropolitan statistical area, it's 3.4 million people. That is well over 70% of the entire population of Colorado lives within roughly 
50 to 60 miles of this building. 32% um, of those people, especially inside the city and county of Denver, do not speak English as their native language. They speak it as a second language. So when you think about how you warn people or how you educate people or the signs you put up that say exit, think about the fact that of that 32%, 28% of them speak Spanish. So you want to make sure that you're looking at at least bilingual engagement, especially for those events that attract that demographic. So you want to look at your demographics for your event and keep in mind that unlike maybe some areas that you, you might work in elsewhere in Colorado, um, I'm not saying any of them are that vastly different, but as a major metropolitan city, we have a large percentage that do not speak English. Um, other languages include Russian, Syrian, and a whole slew of others. So it, it, there's, there's help that we can provide you as a city if you want to talk demographics or, or you're concerned. But the big issue is, so example, our public information officer is trilingual. So anything that you need in Spanish about an emergency or anything, we'll help you with a prescripted message so that you know what to put out to, uh, via your PA, for example. We have 78 neighborhoods. Those 78 neighborhoods all think they're cities. Um, and our airport. Um, so we, we have some, some uh, I think, uniqueness to uh, Denver and how we engage. We have uh, 100, over 100 registered neighborhood organizations that we work with. So when you're doing an outdoor event, it's not just looking at those 11 council districts for us, it's getting down to the neighborhood level because some of those neighborhoods are very unique and very distinct. Over 700 events, and I, I say 700 plus because I'm sure whatever number I put up there would have been wrong. Um, the answer could be 1,000, it could be 700. Um, races, marathons, parades, uh, festivals, cycling events, uh, uh, the Denver Parks events, all are special events that we consider. Not all of those might be permitted in the exact same way, but whether it's permitted or not, they're all part of Denver as far as we're concerned. That uh, also goes to something that's kind of unsaid here, which is that we're just as concerned about Mile High, Pepsi Center, Coors Field, all the uh, Elitch Gardens, and all the other large uh, venues that run special events literally daily. Uh, so once over the world, don't, you don't have to look or memorize anything here. Um, we're going to walk through it. These are the areas I'm going to walk through is that we develop a strategy. So we run a 10-year strategy across the city and county of Denver for how we develop capability to manage risks to develop then plans, funding, so that we can develop the capabilities to respond. The capabilities is the second half of this, talking about the people that would actually do the, the lift, whether it's fire, police, EMS, others. And then the other piece to that is once we develop those capabilities, being able to actually manage the incident. You're probably not interested, and I'm not going to cover things like floodplain mitigation and all those great things that we do that probably don't, don't involve your special event. I will say one thing about mitigation before I uh, move off the slide, which is you, you realize it's the largest single municipal park system in the country, right? Largest municipal park system. And over half of that park system is there solely as flood control. So if you wonder why we have so many park venues and so much park land, you'll notice that almost all of it is in low-lying areas. And it's designed to eat up a flood. It's designed to reduce the impact on the city. So when you think about your planning, if you're planning for one of those parks, keep in mind that if you're planning for a park, like Confluence Park, and you're right there at the water's edge, then, then you're right there in a potential flood zone. Not saying that floods aren't something we can predict, because we do, and we have a good system of being able to predict and warn. But if I called you the 
hour before your event and said, due to the pressure on the dam, we're going to release and Cherry Creek's filling up and we're going to push water your way and we're going to have to cancel your event. How many of you, by show of hands, so I, I'm going to use the uh, Katie model, how many, by show of hands, could cancel that event within the next 15 minutes of me asking you to? Okay, hopefully, if we do this next year, I'd like to see everybody's hands go up. So if that's one takeaway, if you leave next minute, that's the takeaway. Besides that 911 is not a plan, <laughs> you need to be able to cancel an event upon direction. If you cannot cancel an uh, event on direction, I can assure you there are people here that will talk to you about their ability to cancel your event. But you don't want them to do it. Because then there's this issue of that Denver, told, Denver forced you to do it and Denver took over. And we're telling you up front, you do it or we do it. But if we do it, it's much more painful, it's much more expensive for us to do that and bring on all the resources to cancel your event than you just knowing how to do that and make that decision. And it's a lot less contentious. So we develop a 10-year strategy. That 10-year strategy um, works to collaborate with other people. We want service to customers. You're our customers. Do the teamwork. And again, at the end of the day, provide a safe, secure environment for our residents and our visitors. At the end of the day, they're your participants in your special event. They're also our participants in your special event, right? They're, our, they're part of our community for the time that they're here. Um, we work in three main areas that we're going to talk about, which are common core capabilities that we talk about making plans. You're going to hear about that more. Uh, talking about public information and warning. How do we warn people? How do we get them, them educated about what to do? And the operational coordination. How do we as a city make a decision that sometimes could cost lives or property or money and then communicate that down to the responders so that we're all speaking the same language, speaking with the same voice. And then we'll talk more about the prevention, uh, especially on the law enforcement side, and the, the response. So our risk assessment. So when we talk about risk, my most concerning risks are based on consequence, not about likelihood. This is very important to understand the difference that some of the things that you think about, what's one of your risks? Just anybody. Fire. fire. Okay. So fire. Fire is likely. That, that, that's, don't, don't shush her. She, she did exactly what we asked her. So fire is maybe likely, and especially in certain scenarios, and we have a fire department that we invest a lot of time and money and effort to make sure that fire department can be there when there's a fire. But at the end of the day, the fire is usually, from the emergency management perspective, likely but not necessarily consequential. It would be consequential if we didn't have fire response, if we didn't put a, the fire out, but we do that pretty well. So we, as emergency managers versus the responders, and when they do their presentation, you'll notice a slightly different bent. They look at specific hazards. Okay, they were, they were built that way, to look at specific hazards. I look at things like disease outbreak and hazardous materials based on consequence. It's the consequence to the city, its residents, its infrastructure, and its economy, not just the likelihood. So things that you might think are likely are somewhat down our list because they're not necessarily consequential to the city as a whole. That does not mean they're not consequential to you. So let's talk about that. So in those that when you do your planning, you're looking to address the risk specific to your venue and to the event as a whole. So specific to the venue might be things like traffic congestion. Is that going to happen during most, well, anything in Denver? Okay. 
Uh, I moved here from San Jose. You still have nothing on California. So, uh, and before that, DC. I, 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 you, you have clear, open streets as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> but I hear you say that you have traffic. <laughs> just, just wait. So you, you're going to think uh, traffic congestion, traffic collisions. Is that going to happen? Yeah, is that, so we, we do a lot of planning, and you're going to hear from police, very specific planning about routes and road closures and trying to limit foot traffic associated with vehicular traffic. Those two things don't go well. EMS and fire and police get involved after that. So cybercrime. Um, I put that way up at the top because it's going to happen. It's going to happen to each one of you, it, whether that's faking tickets, whether it's uh, faking registrations, whether it's stealing money whether it's a hack against your website, there's a prolific cyber criminal activity. Um, and keep in mind that we're the third largest data center in the country. Um, is, is, in fact, uh, I'm looking at uh, US Department of Homeland Security here as well, and we're doing a project on how to secure that data center and the, those communications path. If you don't think hackers like Denver, I, I think we need to uh, help educate you that there's a lot of hacking going on here, a lot of cyber crime because there's a lot of money and there's a lot of money going through one fixed point, which is the city and county. Criminal activity. Um, police are, are the experts in criminal activity. They're, they're going to do everything they can deter criminal activity. Is there ever criminal activity at your special events? Okay, so that's something that's likely and it's consequential to you and the people you're serving, right? Don't think that just because my list doesn't have it on there <laughs> doesn't mean that it's not consequential for you and that you should plan it, uh, plan for it. Utilities failure. Again, I, I'm, a, I'm a person that doesn't trust all the, the things to work. When things go wrong, they usually go wrong all at once. Um, destructive weather, as I mentioned, things like wind and hail. The reason that the city does not see destructive weather at the same uh, perspective you do is only because most of hail and wind is insured loss. So that um, uh, hailstorm we had uh, earlier last year, that was $1.4 billion in insured loss. $1.4 billion, that's, so real money. But that was each of you paying your insurance and your insurance took a risk and that insurance paid out. Vast majority of those were not things that the city then had to respond and recover from because you didn't have the capability. That's why they're insured losses. Uh, and though things like extreme temperatures, uh, temporary structures especially, and I know uh, Scott from FIRE is going to talk about fire prevention and the, the structural code here, but if you look back at like the Indiana Fair collapse and, and those examples, um, if you put up a structure, think about that structure going somewhere else. Uh, that we've seen that a lot with kitty uh, play, you know, bouncy uh, pens where they aren't properly tethered and they go flying off with those people in it. Um, Foodborne disease probably is a concern for many of you, um, especially if you're using you know, non-traditional food venues. Um, uh, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, intentional attacks. Uh, you've seen a lot of shootings, uh, Las Vegas as, as a prime example. Um, and keep in mind that the Las Vegas shooter, uh, they just did the preliminary after action report that was released yesterday. And they, he, went, he looked at a lot of different venues before he settled on Las Vegas. Um, there were not, it wasn't just one venue that was at risk. It's just one venue where he had everything together to make it happen. So he looked at other uh, outdoor events before picking that room, and he picked that room because it looked out over that, over, uh, that specific event. Um, then you'll see something on there that you probably didn't know, which is earthquake. And I'm not saying this is California. 
okay, I'm a little skewed. I came from California. Um, but we sit on uh, the Denver uh, uh, metro area as a whole, sits on the Rocky Mountain Fault System. That fault system is capable of over 6.6 .6 according to history. Um, it just doesn't go very often, as in like it's been uh, since the 80s, since the 5, and uh, almost uh, 150 years since our last 6 or above. I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm just saying in seismic terms, that's the last minute. But in our terms, that's generations ago. So I know it's an easy thing for us to kind of forget and put it in the back of our mind. But again, what we're going to try to show you in the planning side is how to plan for it as if it's all hazards. We're going to try to say these are things you do regardless of whether it's cybercrime, earthquake, utilities, extreme temperatures, those risks, we're, we want to give you tools that apply to as many or all of those risks. Does that make sense? So we write a lot of plans. Good news is those plans aren't necessary for you, so you don't have to go to sleep reading them. Um, we, we have one big overarching policy and then a family of plans. That plan it goes to how we're going to do continuity, how we're going to sustain fire, police, EMS, uh, permitting, uh, public works, public health, everybody. So there's a hundred plans that make up the city's continuity plan, uh, to, to give you an idea of the scope. Um, and so we look to make sure that we can continue to provide you service. So if the web building next door burned down, we have a plan to shift all those operations so that you can continue to permit and you can continue to work with public works or get plans approved or work with special events. So there's plans for that, but there's also plans for if all that goes wrong and we have one of those risks, those, those, uh, that tornado or that flood or that terrorist attack, we also have an emergency operations plan that's going to generate how we do that and coordinate the actions of not only the first responders, but every single, we have 53 departments and agencies in, in the city and county of Denver. Anybody have any idea how many people we have working for the mayor? 12,900 people. So when you compare that, I think Arapahoe County is at 1,200 county staff. So there's a big difference in terms of the amount of staff that are out there on the streets to do that, but that also means there's a lot of other people as you've gone through the permitting process, um, looking through how to, don't worry, they'll be back. Uh, I got spares. Okay. <laughs> I got 2,000 officers, we, we, we're, we're good. <laughs> um, but when we, when we talk about your plans and your risks, uh, keep in mind, we're, we're there to help you, we're there to guide you, but you're the, the first responder until the first responders arrive. You're the, the person that's going to actually decide whether or not we need to cancel or whether or not the wind's too strong or how to get that information out to those people. Sorry. Um, so once you start doing the planning and uh, David's going to uh, work through more of the details, looking at venue risks is, is very important for us. Um, if, you, if you look at the history of big incidents at uh, special events, you see things like Warwick, uh, R Rhode Island fire using outdoor pyrotechnics inside of a, uh, a room does not usually end up well. And they, they, they bypassed the fire prevention inspectors, bypassed everybody, put them there anyway, and lit the whole place on fire. Again, people didn't know how to evacuate. There was no clear guidance to how to evacuate that building. And the judgments were in the range of, I think, $55 million in damages. Uh, awarded to the people that either lost their lives or were in the, the, the theater at the time. So there's huge 
benefit to planning that out ahead of time and also not fighting fire and police and others on inspection requirements. Those are usually there for a reason. Um, things that we'll also talk about and that you can ask more about, delay and cancellation, obviously that's one big issue for me. Um, warning, you have some ability to warn, right? You, you have people, whether they're race captains, whether they're people helping work the, the, uh, the uh, event, you can hopefully communicate with them, whether that's via phone, via text, via radio. You're communicating with them, hopefully, to say, hey, this is what we need to tell, have everybody know. And maybe if you have a special event with a big mic and a big, uh, the right platform, you're saying, this is, hey, we're going to have to suspend operations for just a few minutes. There's a bad storm coming in, and we need you to go inside and take shelter. So those are things you can do. We can, we can warn everybody. Have you ever received an Amber Alert? Okay. So city and county of Denver is one of those uh, few counties in, uh, well, in our time zone that can do that directly. So we can do that directly to the venue, but when we hit your venue, we're gonna hit everybody around your venue at the same time. It's based on cell phones, and so it's not based on geographic location so much as the cell phone uh, towers looking at you. We're one of the flattest cities, I know we keep saying mountains, we're one of the flattest cities in the country. We, we, don't, we, we transmit from nice high buildings or the mountain uh, tops. And when we do, everybody gets to know. So just keep in mind that when we notify, it's not just you at the special event. It may be large portion of the population around you. Uh, so these slides are going to be available. There are uh, the videos online, and you're going to hear more about planning. We then try to take that planning concept from every level. So... We're more focused at this level, down here with the local, the county, the non-governmental organizations, the, the, the uh, private sector, the special events venues, trying to get you to integrate your planning process and understand the risk like we do at the county and then up to the state and federal level. We develop capabilities, and those capabilities, those are areas that apply to you. <laughs> So there's a lot of capabilities that apply to you, and I don't expect you to take the same capabilities-based approach, but when we talk about planning, when we have EMS up, uh, up there, EMS is gonna say, well, I, I'm worried about public health, I'm worried about how we transport you to healthcare, how we provide emergency medical services to you. So that's one of their concerns. Can they work every single person that's injured? Have you ever heard of the word triage? So triage, meaning to sort, so some people uh, really need uh, assistance. They're gonna be the people that we um, take to the hospital maybe first, which means that there's some people that are just wounded. They're, they're walking wounded, they're, they're not necessarily needing immediate medical attention, but they will need medical attention. So ad examples of how you could work on a special event are things like helping train your responders. Uh, your responders are your staff. So going to the cell, um, Jordan from the cells here, he can raise his hand and so you know who to, to pick on. Um, they provide uh, a community awareness program so that they, you have recognition. Uh, one of the things I always say to him is there, there's a big see something, say something campaign. And I'm going to add something, it's called do something. So as an emergency manager, you can't just tell me, okay, great, I, I, I called 911. You still need to be prepared to do something. So we offer, through a variety of means, bleeding control classes, uh, basic first aid classes that we can get to you as you and you train your staff. Maybe it's, that's just it's once, just so they know the basics of bleeding control so that we can help you 
by you managing those smaller ones, you keeping those people alive so that EMS, fire can come in and again, take care of those people in priority order. We wanna prepare a lot of people and that's what we're really talking about today. I'm not getting into a lot of the mitigation prevention and I'm not gonna steal the thunder of the response community here, but we want to prepare you. And preparing is planning and thinking through the event that is your worst day because that's what we're here for. We're here for your worst day. To us, that is normal. That is what we do day in and day out. Um, to do that, we you know, offer training. So community preparedness training. Some people have heard of CERP, Community Emergency Response Team, and said, well, that's too long. So we're offering a whole, we offer 32 different programs from down to 15 minutes to an hour where we can engage with you, answer your questions, tailor that to your needs, all the way up to uh, 32 hours of training where you learn everything from actually putting out fires in a, a fire simulator to learning how to do medical first aid and bleeding control. Um, so you decide on the scale. You decide on the investment. To go back to Katie's point, this is not we're saying you have to. We're saying you should. These are things that you can do to reduce the loss of life, loss of property, loss of the environment, but also keep in mind the financial loss for you. Because as special event organizers, any of you been sued before and you don't have to raise your hand, just probably some people. So I'm an emergency manager, I just assume I'm gonna be sued when I start, and I just hope they're all living when they can sue me because that's the, that's the best thing. I took too much action maybe is better than I took too little. I didn't warn you. That's when you get in trouble. So we want to give you those tools so you take those tools back and you, you use them. If you want to participate in any of these, you talk to us, we'll, we'll get you hooked up with the right people. Part of our business preparedness, and we see you as a business, uh, as somebody who has uh, an organizational stake in doing, running some event, some, uh, uh, some business. So special events outreach, uh, we unite all of our programs under the, the banner of Denver Ready. So every employee is trained the same way as we give out to the residents, the same way we give out to the businesses because we had, believe it or not, three different programs. Uh, so we're, we're one program. Again, we're there to help you uh, do that. Okay, all that said, you've, you've written a plan and you've figured out you, more than three people can cancel event. <laughs> and you've decided that you're gonna give a little training, maybe it's a 15 minute talk to your staff before they go out and do the great work that they do at that special event. You, you're there to either make money or have fun or whatever that driving factor is in why you run that, that special event. We, we recognize that's your goal, that's your outcome. If you can insert something in there that you see as a, as a good point, that's what we ask for you to do. Warning. If things go wrong. We do have warning systems throughout the city. So we have, a, uh, we believe in what's called multimodal war warning. So we warn you via every single means we can. We want everybody to get, get at least two warnings and we want the two warnings to be consistent. Of course, the consistent part is sometimes the hard part, but first is the outdoor warning uh, system. So 86 sirens. So if you're in public parks, if you're on 16th Street Mall, in, your, in those areas, we, if we see tornado, severe weather, or another time in which we want you to actually go inside and shelter in place, we would sound those, uh, those sirens throughout the city. 
simultaneous to si uh, sounding those sirens, and yes, we can geolocate them, so it doesn't mean that every time the airport gets a uh, twister, we sound it for the whole city. We sound it for the airport. The airport, in fact, can sound it directly, so can uh, dispatch, and so can emergency management. Uh, we'll also notify select people. So the staffs, the, the people that have to uh, make certain decisions are coming to emergency operations center. We have an emergency notification system. We have a reverse 911 system. The only trouble is that it's subscription-based. So it goes to every landline in the uh, uh, city. How many of you have landlines at your special event? Yeah. You don't even need to raise your hands because that's not a <laughs> real question. Um, that, that may not get to you. But you can go online today and type in Denver 911, the same number you dial in an emergency, so you should know 911, um, and you go to Swift Reach. It's one of the, the tabs uh, on that page, and you can click on Swift Reach and uh, sign up for uh, alerts. That means you'll get the alerts that fire, police, and EMS, and I send out as events happen, whether that event really affects your special event or if it's just next door. You can sign up for as many locations as you want. So if you want to sign up for your home or office, but then you're running a special event and you're at a park, you can add the park so that you know what's going on in the vicinity of that park. So it's called Swift Reach. And you just go to Denver 911 website. If you can't find it there, call us. We'll get you, we'll get you to the right, uh, right point. Um, integrated public alert and warning. That's our most powerful tool. Now, we can only use that when there's life safety involved. So if you say, hey, the next band's going to be delayed, we're not sending that out, okay? Um, I'm interested, <laughs> but I, I don't, I'm not using that system to do that. And that's when I say I pause. Uh, anybody ever seen an um, emergency alert system on TV? Heard that awful, annoying noise on the radio? So we can do all that from my phone. <laughs> so when we send that, though, we're sending it to a broad, even the smallest geographic area is gonna hit a lot of people, okay? Keep in mind, it's a very dense city, so unless you're out at one of our mountain parks, you're not just warning the park, you're warning everybody who lives by the park, drives by the park, is golfing at the golf course, whatever, we're warning them all at the same time. If something bad happens, and don't worry, I'm almost through with the slides, and that gives us a few minutes to, to ask any questions uh, that you might have, or we get ahead of time. Uh, is that we manage the emergency operations center. So part of my role as the emergency manager for the entire city and county is that I bring together uh, people, in fact, uh, Scott and uh, a number of people here, you can raise your hands, you're in the EOC. So they're, they're part of the emergency operations center. But so is finance, so is public works, so is parks. So all the city is represented. That is run by the mayor of the city and county of Denver. So we're one of the few uh, counties around here where the senior elected runs the emergency operations for the city. I do not. I am there to advise. I'm there to build the capability. But that is Mayor Hancock or the Deputy Mayor, um, Deputy Mayor Brendan Hanlon. And they run that EOC. They're trained. They're certified on an annual basis. They have to go through an evaluated exercise by a number of agencies from FEMA, state, and other agencies that come in and evaluate every single year or they go back through training until they can get it right. And I think Scott and uh, James would admit the, the, the test isn't easy. Um, it's an eight-hour, non-stop evaluated exercise. They come in and they go non-stop. I don't buy them lunch. I don't do anything. If they want to buy lunch, they go buy lunch just like they would in a real emergency. We just run them through. And they have to impress 25 evaluators that have very detailed check sheets of what tasks they have to do. 
Um, and we do this on special events on a, on a routine basis. So I want you to assure you, I want you to walk away from here knowing that the city is doing everything we can to be there for you. We are doing everything we can so that if something happens, we can set up the organization and meet those needs. But you're the first one there, not us. You're the first ones, if it happens there, you're gonna to have to make a decision. And your planning should address that in, again, my opinion is obviously that I plan for this all day long, so I, I think you should do that. Um, uh, we also have a JIC, a Joint Information Center. So all of our public messaging, we have uh, 43 public information officers in the city. 36 of them are assigned to the Joint Information Center in two shifts. They come in and they run, um, we have a, web, uh, so what's called a dark website. So basically we replace the entire city's website with here's the emergency information you need to know. We, we can post that up onto Twitter, between police, OEM, and, and the city. We have a very large social media presence. Uh, we'll, put, uh, we'll put that out via uh, email, via text, via phone. Um, it's amazing how we can reach you. <laughs> and we will keep pushing that if that message needs to get to you. Um, and then the, the supporting departmental operations centers. Some of you have run big events and you've had the police set up their command post at the, the, the police side. Um, when the police set up their command post, that is uh, what we call a departmental operations center. They're coordinating kind of the police view, the law enforcement and public safety view, but not necessarily the whole city view. So sometimes they stand up, and sometimes we also then stand up the emergency operations center. It just depends upon scale, complexity, and as you'll hear from the Colorado Information Analysis Center, the threat, the risk. Um, you know, when we see a risk that uh, may warrant increased presence, we'll bring in more people. As part of that larger term, we have to provide not only continuity, but outreach to our entire community. That's just giving you an idea of scale. Shelters, points of distribution for food, water, supplies, medicines. We, we plan for the big one. And that doesn't mean that that is going to happen tomorrow. In fact, I really hope it doesn't happen tomorrow because I'm leaving for Australia in 48 hours. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it may happen. And what we try to do is, if you can take this first step of being able to effectively cancel, effectively help maintain and order and control and provide planning information to our responders and to us, you can really reduce that risk to your organization and to your profession. Um, you can reach us that way. I've got just a few more minutes according to my clock, so I'm gonna say a couple uh, additional comments, which is one, how many of you are prepared? If I said that you didn't have food, water, or uh, electricity for three days, how many of you feel that you and your family would be successful, would be able to eat, would be able to take care of themselves? Okay, so the goal, one of the other goals, takeaways, would be I'd like everybody's hand to go up. Now, three days. Three days came about because of a hurricane in Florida called Andrew. And somebody, I, I've seen this, the piece of paper, the napkin that it's written on uh, at a Waffle House. Um, and they wrote it out and they said, well, it takes 72 hours for us to restore water after we turn off the water because the hurricane's coming across and we turn the water back on. We have to test it before we can release. That's where 72 hours came from. So you are at the distant end of every single water pipe in the country. You understand that water doesn't come in, doesn't come from Denver, right? All your water comes from snow. That's stuff we don't have right now. It comes from snow. It goes somewhere outside of Denver and then comes in to pump into Denver. 
All the electricity comes from somewhere else. We have one plant. Trust me, it doesn't even support the grow operations, let alone all the other things <laughs> that we do. So, and, and oh, we've watched the electricity <laughs> uh, spike from that. So we, we cannot necessarily guarantee those things. Those are private utilities. However, we, I would say that you, especially if you want to be at your special event or you want to, if something happened, I would push towards seven days, be more than three days when you're in the middle of the country. Our nearest mutual aid is the city of Dallas, Texas, which is 780 miles. Well, a little faster when you go by lights and sirens, but they have to stop at all the fast food spots in the way. Um, and I, I was a firefighter, so I'm just making a joke about my own profession. Um, and then you have the other part of the police officers stopping at the donut shop, so we can, we can get there too. But the point is that it takes hours, days, to get, uh, get relief. It's 1,000 miles to Chicago. That's the, Dallas and Chicago are the next considerably parallel-sized fire, police, and EMS departments in our country. So when we talk about mutual aid, it's not just, I mean, Colorado Springs can provide some, but that's it. We don't have some of those resources, so we need you to take those actions up front. We need you and your families to be prepared so that you, we can concentrate on the people that can't prepare for themselves, the more socially vulnerable among us, the homeless populations we have. Those are the people that are never, ever going to have a day worth of food and water. And those are the people that we want to focus and, and take care of. So if you can take that one step for us, really appreciate it. Go home. Just uh, You can go to our website, get the information, type in Denver Ready, type in ready.gov, and download a list of things you can do. Just write a little plan for yourself, for your family, and for how you're going to feed and water and have the medicines or anything else that you need. So I'll answer any uh, questions, like one or two questions, and then I have to step down. Yes, ma'am. Uh, hold, hold on. You raised your hand. Now we've got to get a mic to you. Okay, it's coming to you. Thank you. As I was trying to take notes, I wanted to ask, will the presentation be online somewhere? So the presentation will be sent out to the appointee, uh, to the people that, uh, the participants, and it'll also be available on the video, so the dialogue that goes with it. Thank you. <laughs> easy question. Any similarly easy questions? Yeah. Okay, one second, sir. It's, the mic's coming to you. Hi, um, so my question was um, more of the, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of more on the other side of the event planners. I provide security services and oh, other stuff. And um, so my question is, when, we, when I have certain meetings, dealing with these emergency management, some festivals or events, handle it with the, the police department and the fire department, and then we can, we can go as far as dealing with homeland security. And then other ones, uh, there's none of that's even brought up. Does, is there a size determined for where the festivals have to be involved in, in those kind of additional escalated talks, or is it just whoever feels like they should have it? Excellent point. Uh, so in answering that question, I'm going to defer a little here to, to Katie about the, the specifics. So there are specific requirements, as I understand them, for fire and police engagement right now. 
There are new rules uh, being issued to talk to EMS because emergency medical services, the Denver Health Paramedics, um, are slightly separate agency. Um, slightly separate in that there's, there's life support, basic life support being provided by the fire department as well as advanced life support provided by the paramedics. So we do want to clarify that. Um, one of the first things Katie came to me when I got here 14 months ago uh, was specifically what's that size threshold? When do we start engaging on that planning? And she was absolutely right that at this time there are no clear rules for that. I think that's something that uh, Katie, myself, the mayor, all are concerned about and we want to, uh, to establish for you. But we also want to establish it with, with broad understanding that not everything is equal. I mean, uh, for example, a 420 rally is not the same as the Dragon Boat race, event, but they attract large populations. So we, we have to figure out how to convey that risk concern not just the population. So it's not just size. I mean, you can have a large, large event. Uh, uh, we were talking about cycling events and the difference between how Jefferson County and De uh, Denver County sees the cycling races. Many a times the cycling races, um, it appears that Denver County isn't providing the exact same stand-up as Jefferson County. Part of that is because at the same time as we're handling that bicycle race, we might be handling an event that's twice the size on the other side of town. So we just, we're used to that many people. So we have better controls in place, we have more cameras, we have more, more ways to get that same job done. So we are working on that, but to, to answer your question concisely, the answer is no, not yet. It's a judgment call. And we're, we're working to establish that for you. Is that fair, Katie? Okay. Uh, I think one last and then I'm at my time. Anybody else? Right here. Yes, ma'am. Oh, can you talk a little bit about the um, when you say shut down, you have the ability to shut down your event within 15 minutes. So some of the events that I work on are, you know, very large street festivals. How, what are you, what are you meaning? Are you meaning shutting down the vendors, evacuating the whole event site? If you could talk a little bit about that. So the question being, you know, when I say the word shut down. So first of all, could you make the decision to shut down? I, let, let's start with the basic thing. Do you feel that in your plan you identify that there is one or two entities that clearly could say this event is canceled, this event is delayed, you know, either leave the venue or could you do that in 15 minutes? So that's the first question. It would be great to then be able to say could you have them seek shelter in place, which is usually moving somewhere nearby to seek shelter. That might be a building, that might be a garage, that might be by lying down in a culvert um, for something like a tornado or a massive hailstorm. Because having people just standing out in the open would, be, would make them more at risk and generate more injuries that we would then have to manage. Um, perfect world, we'd evacuate in most cases. The, the, the way we look at emergencies, if you move the people out of the, the, the hazard, then it's just a hazard. That's why I say risks, not hazards and threats, because for me, it's only a risk when you get the population together with whatever is going to happen. So, but in some venues, that's just not possible. I mean, in cycling, we couldn't just evacuate an entire route for, for that, and I, and I totally understand that. But the ability to convey to as many people as possible that, yes, we've decided you need to seek shelter in place and do it, you're going to save lives. If it comes to us doing it, we'll do it. 
but we're going to tell like that entire portion of the city to take that action just because we're a broad tool, not a, not a focused one. You can help focus and protect as many of your participants and guests as possible, and that's what we're really seeking. So be able to make a decision and at least shelter in place. Is that fair? Okay. Thanks. I appreciate your time. That was awesome. Minds blown, hands up. Right, right. Uh, so now we're gonna bring David Powell up. He's going to um, get down into the, to the meat of actually creating that plan based on all those things that, um, that Ryan has, has shared with us and, and taught us and opened our eyes to all the, the different things that are out there. Um, now it's time to, to get out your pen and paper. Yes, we're gonna send this to you, but you know, sometimes taking notes in that moment will um, help you uh, solidify that information. So David, if you wanna come on up. All right, so we're gonna talk a little bit about plans and how to create a plan that's um, at least adequate and hopefully more than that. Hopefully it's a good plan that really can protect your event and the participants, and that's the goal. Um, with that, how many of you already create safety plans for your event? Hey, show of hands. So good, we have, looks like the majority of folks are already doing that. Um, that's great, and those of you who aren't, hopefully we can take something from this and start to create those plans. That's a really key part of preparing for an event. Um, and those who already have those, I'm hoping that we can get a little more into the details of what needs to be in there. What makes a good plan? What makes a plan effective? Um, and so I'm gonna go through five different parts of a good plan. Again, I'm not saying you have to lay it out one, two, three, four, five. These are just five different elements that every good plan should have in them. Um, if you have a very large event, sometimes you might need to go beyond this. But this is just some, some elements that will give you a good start on making a plan and making it effective for all those who might use it. So starting off, uh, the first thing I want you to consider when making a plan is knowing your audience. Who are you writing this plan for? Uh, the obvious one is your event staff. Uh, I think most people, when they write a plan, they keep their event staff in mind, that your event staff is going to be the ones that are going to carry out a lot of this. As Ryan said, they're the first responders to the first responders arrive. Um, but that's not the only people who might be using your plan. Uh, think about fire, police, and EMS. Yes, they may have their own plans, they might be doing their own planning, but they need to know what you're doing. They need to know how you plan to manage the event. If you're gonna evacuate people to a certain area, they need to know where those people are going. You don't wanna have conflicting messages there. Um, also consider uh, agencies that might not even be on scene, but will really need your plan, maybe more than anyone else. Think of 911 communications. They're not gonna be there on scene, but if they have your plan, they know the layout of your uh, festival and they know the sequence of events, they can more effectively direct those emergency resources. Um, also, some other, not traditional first responders, but uh, agencies that you need to keep in mind, environmental health, if they're out there doing food inspections or you have a problem with a vendor with food, they need to be thought of in your plan. Uh, traffic control, um, that's huge for egress, ingress for first responders. Uh, if you have to do an evacuation, making sure traffic control has this plan and knows it's incorporated into the planning process. Um, another one is public information officers. So if you have a major event and you need to inform the public, or as Ryan mentioned, our EOC needs to stand up, our Joint Information Center needs to give information to the public, it would be great if we can hand them a plan that has what messaging you're pushing out so we can unify our messaging. So the city's not saying one thing and the organizer's saying something different. That's what we want to avoid. We want to be, make sure everyone's on the same page here. Um, then also, 
uh, us in emergency management. Again, if we have a large event and we have a large incident, God forbid, at that event, we want to make sure that we know what you're doing. We can run our operations. We can run our evacuation, sheltering, messaging, all based off your plan and in harmony with our city plans. So the next part is knowing your hazards. And at this section, I don't want to say you need a plan for each hazard because that's not what we're, that, the plan would be too long, too much. But instead, know what hazards you have, know the risk when you bring in people to those areas that have those hazards, and then think of the common uh, capabilities that you need to build to address those. So for example, if we had a tornado, or if we had, say, um, a uh, different, maybe a terrorist attack or something kind of event, both of those you're probably gonna have to evacuate. Two very different events, but you need to know your hazards, know the risk, and then know those capabilities you need to be able to do to respond to those. Um, and a lot of that is knowing just some basic components about your event. So plan, plans cannot be cookie cutter. They can't be pulled off the shelf. So event in the winter versus event in the summer, they're gonna have different hazards. Um, and you, your plans need to reflect that. So in the summer, you might be worried about hailstorms or tornadoes. Um, right now, that's probably less of a risk. Uh, but also if you have an event this time of year, if, if it's frigid, cold outside, you have a plan to how where people can go to warm up. Or in the summer, do you have enough water if it's really hot to keep people hydrated so EMS is not overwhelmed? Um, also think of things that are um, maybe have more of a political sensitivity to them. Not necessarily, you might not think they do, but if there's some groups out there who really have a strong opinion about this, think about that beforehand and make sure you're communicating with police about that risk. Um, you know, a lot of us might think this event is pretty you know, fine, it has no political sensitivities, but if there's some groups out there that you're concerned about, go ahead and communicate that with police. Um, also, think about your indoor versus outdoor events. A lot of differences there, right? We talked about about half the folks here did uh, each, so we have a good mix. Uh, but think about the, the egress differences there, the uh, control of people coming in. Think about the differences between those events. Uh, ticket versus open. Um, but also, uh, one of the big ones is, who's your demographics? Are you targeting adults, again, like a 420 or a beer festival? Or are you uh, targeting families? Uh, is that, that your audience? And both come with their own risks. If you have a family event, you need to be prepared to how to reunify lost children with their parents. If you have an adult-focused event, that might not be as big of a concern. So those elements, they need to be, your plans need to be dynamic, they need to change with your hazards, and you need to know what uh, your hazards are. Um, and here's some, all these photos up here are from Denver. Um, the top one is a, uh, uh, some civil unrest after some agitators showed up at a, uh, a march, a parade. Uh, then down below, you see a tornado down near the tech center. And then on the right, it's in the 60s when we had an earthquake here. Um, so there's multiple different hazards, and you consider them all. There's some of the obvious ones, like weather, but that's not the only one. And we want to encourage you to kind of take the whole picture into consideration. Um, also, planning can't be done alone. If you're making a plan by yourself, not any, without input from the outside, and that's your plan, that is not our plan, that's not the event plan, and then we want to make sure you include the, the whole community that could be involved in the plan, in the planning process. Now, this could look different for different plans. If you have a, a huge event, yes, you might sit down with all the uh, city officials and your vendors and everything and have multiple meetings. If you have a smaller event, maybe it's just you know, making some phone calls, making those connections. And so we just want to make sure the plans consider all those who might be involved. And that's not just including um, fire, police, and EMS, even though they're important. 
That's also including your vendors and your contractors. Do they know your emergency plans? Do they understand what, what you're doing? Yes, you have event staff that might work with you normally, but if you're bringing in food vendors, if you're bringing in other folks that work the event, do they know what's going on? Um, if the if, uh, evacuation happens or there's a need for public protective actions, a lot of the public are going to go up to anyone who looks like they're part of the event and ask for something. And if they're a vendor or contractor, that doesn't matter. They need to at least know the basics of what's going on. Um, they also consider uh, parks and rec and public work, solid waste. Um, those are really important partners. Uh, a lot of the events happen on park facilities, and so make sure you communicate with them to know um, the hazards associated with that location. Also, uh, public works and solid waste. You know, if uh, you have to get a lot of trash in and out, and you have, um, if you're not effective at that, that starts piling up, that becomes its own emergency right there. And so we want to avoid that. We want to mitigate that before the, uh, before the event starts. Um, so that brings us to the first part of a plan. And this may sound basic, but it's, just, it's really important and often skipped. You need to describe your event. Describe your event for all the people that we mentioned, all your stakeholders, people that may not even show up, people who may show up that one day to the 911 center and they know the event's going on, but they have no other interaction. They need to be able to read through your event and know the gist of what's going on. How many people are there? Where is it located? Um, what type of space is it occurring? Um, things to look, think about what type of space. Uh, think about hazardous material facilities that could be nearby. Think of floodplains. Think of rail and uh, highway infrastructure, because a lot of hazardous materials goes up well, rail and highway. Think of the location it's, it's at. Um, it's alcohol being served. Um, as we all know, that can affect greatly uh, some factors, sometimes the amount of uh, EMS support needed and other factors. Um, think of what activities are happening. Are you using pyrotechnics? Are you um, having multiple concerts? Is it a parade? Is it moving? Is it, or is it in a fixed facility? Um, think of those things that might be of concern. Um, and then also any law enforcement concerns. And here I want to emphasize, if you've done this before, even in other cities, and there's been certain um, issues you've had, go ahead and communicate to law enforcement proactively. If the last few cities you've been in, or the last few years you've done the event here in Denver, you've had this concern, go ahead and communicate that on the front end so that's in your plan and we can prepare for it. So once you describe your event, you know your hazards, you have your planning team, um, really assess the needs. What needs do you, need, do you uh, need to address in your planning? So um, what level of security is needed? Uh, what level of um, medical personnel is needed? Are there any sanitation needs that you're not thinking about? Um, think about loudspeakers and warning the public. So if you have a large event, even if it's like a parade or a race, you're moving, how are you going to warn the public around that event if something happens? Do you need to have some bullhorns? Do you need to have a way, loudspeakers, to reach the public? Um, think of the different needs for each event in each location. If you're in a, a fixed facility, you're in a building, and you already have a PA system, maybe that's good enough. But if you're outside, that, that very well may not be. Um, and the last thing is, don't forget those with access and functional needs. If you have folks in um, wheelchairs or uh, people with disabilities, you need to make sure you plan for them as well. Um, we don't just plan for people who uh, can run really quick and get out, you need to plan for all the people who might be at your event. Um, whether English is their second language, whether they um, have trouble hearing, um, think of multiple ways to warn the public, warn the attendees to ensure that um, your event is really well planned for. And then again, another picture of um, uh, some 
civil unrest after a Super Bowl victory in the 90s. So another picture from Denver that things do happen um, and we need to make sure that we're, we're prepared for that. Next part is assigned responsibility. And this is really one of the most key parts of a plan. Make sure you clearly assign who's responsible for what. Um, be specific and don't make assumptions. Uh, if we look at events like the Indiana Stage Fair collapse, uh, there's a lot of confusion on who had the authority to cancel that event or to move people to safety. Some the organizers thought there would be the law enforcement or the um, first responders on scene, and then they thought it would be the organizer, and no one really knew who had the authority and what the thresholds were. Um, make sure that's clear. And if you're assuming law enforcement, fire, police, the city is going to make decisions, make sure you communicate that beforehand, and that's agreed upon. Um, again, assumptions are what gets you into trouble here. Um, then make sure you have a contact list. A simple contact list with names, phone numbers, if you have radios, radio frequencies, how to contact uh, uh, everyone in your organization, in the event organization staff, and include a clear chain of command. Who's, who's in charge? Who's in charge of what? Um, but with that, make sure everyone knows that everyone's responsibility is safety and situational awareness. If everyone at your event doesn't know how to um, phone for additional help, how to or what to look for for suspicious people or suspicious packages, if um, they don't even know maybe a, just a very basic first aid, and that's something we need to start working on to make sure that every event staff member is part of the emergency process. Their, their main role may just be to stamp wristbands when they're coming in or apply wristbands, but they also need to know when people are running out where to send them or how to open a, uh, a part of the fencing around the facility to let more, or the event to let more people out. So everyone who's working the event needs to be part of the safety plan and they need to know the messaging. If we're evacuating people, they need to know what to tell the public and how to get them out. Then set your procedures and make your decisions beforehand to the extent you can. You can't make decisions for everything, but beforehand, try to make those decisions. Um, go ahead and decide where you're going to put the command post, lost child area, hydration locations, or egress points. Make those decisions ahead of time. Uh, make sure you know what are your thresholds to cancel or close the event. Um, if you're like me, if I'm out hiking and the weather starts getting bad, I'm like, I, I can go a little farther. I'm good. I can go a little farther. You see the funnel cloud coming down, you're like, I, I can go a little farther. I'm good. Um, and that's not the mentality we want to have when you have an event. Know what your thresholds are. Make those decisions beforehand so you're not saying, oh, I really don't want to warn the people. I don't want to cancel it. That's going to look bad. No, you make your decisions when you are clear-headed when you're working with your partners, and so you, it's just executing them. Um, you're not going to be able to know the thresholds for everything and everything that could happen, but the likely uh, hazards, the likely risks, go ahead and make your thresholds beforehand. And then um, if you can, have pre-scripted messaging. Uh, again, you don't have to have it for everything, but have some basic templates. Know what you're going to tell the public. The time to start writing what you're going to announce to the loudspeaker is not when you have the uh, National Weather Service issuing that tornado warning. Have that pre-scripted. Have that on, in your plan so everyone who's out there in the field can read the same script and we'll all be on the same page. Um, maybe not be able to do that for every hazard, but at least have a plan for that. Then the fourth is communications. Um, and this is really key. If you have radio communications or not, if you have cell phones or not, make sure first responders know how to get a hold of you. Make sure the city knows how to get a hold of you, those who are working the event. And make sure you know vice versa how to get hold of the first responders or the command post, the police have the command post. Make sure that communication is set up. Um, label what each channel or what each form of communication is used for. Uh, we need to know to make sure everyone's on the right channel. Um, and then 
maybe the most important is if you're using radio or using the cell phone, you might have a great plan of how to manage your event on a good day. You have a radio channel for everyone coming in and checking in. You have a radio channel to manage the, uh, who comes on stage and who goes off stage. But if you have an emergency, think about how many more radio channels you'll need. Think about how many more conversations you'll need to have. Um, so make sure your communication has bandwidth to expand, to incorporate the needs if you have an emergency. That you can assign additional channels, already have them set up. These channels will be for evacuation. This channel will be for reunification or what have you. Make sure those are defined in your plan beforehand. And then the last thing I want to mention is the map. And this might sound simple, but it's really important. Um, please include a detailed map in your plan. If you can, put where your, your vendors are set up. If you have AED, first aid supplies, command posts, a place you want to shelter, define those, put those on the map. Um, and my, my biggest, uh, I guess, metric to see if a, a plan has a good map is if someone called 911 from anywhere in your event, and they called and said, I have, um, I have an emergency here, and all I can see is the, the hot dog stand and uh, you know, the, the donut stand. That's all I can see. Will the 911 dispatcher know where to send help? Will they be able to look at your map and be like, okay, I see these stands, I see where they put them, you're actually in this area in the event, and we, we will, we'll send help there. Um, that's kind of the gold standard. Make it detailed. Make sure all the responders, including your event staff, who will be the first responders there before the first responders even get there, know where everything is. Um, make sure it's clear. And so that's what I had for the elements of a, uh, a plan. Um, we're running a little tight on time, so we'll probably hold most questions to when we have the panel. Um, but uh, thank you. Okay. Uh, but we're going to turn it over now to Pride Fest. We have Carol, Rex, and Lindsay. Hey, hello. Boy, I guess that is on. We were wondering if you we were on. Hi, I'm Rex Fuller. I work at the GLBT Community Center of Colorado over at Colfax and Lafayette. Uh, we produce Denver Pride Fest every year. Um, it is our largest annual fundraiser. Um, we have been producing Pride Fest since about 1990. It is one of the largest um, gay pride celebrations in the country. It's definitely the largest um, in the Rocky Mountain region. Um, we have it every third weekend of June and we have a, just shy of 400,000 guests over the two-day festival. Um, our event also includes a 5K run on Saturday morning and a parade that goes from Cheeseman Park down Colfax to Civic Center Park to the festival, and that attracts about 100 to 120,000 people every year. So it's a very big event, and we have always had public safety top of mind as we've been planning it. Um, and we have to realize that the LGBTQ community is definitely um, a community that can have a target on that, on, on our backs. And that was brought vividly to life in 2016 when the Pulse nightclub shootings happened in Orlando one week before our festival. And it really brought home that we have to be even more diligent in terms of our safety planning. 
Um, so we are very, very grateful um, to have such great partners in the city and county of Denver with uh, the Office of Special Events as well as law enforcement and um, emergency response teams. And we've also had incredible support from Kayak and from the Cell and a lot of great partners to help us in our planning and, and to help us have an effective plan. I think one thing that's really important to bring up is that I'm not an emergency response professional. Um, I, you know, kind of know some stuff about marketing and I've worked on a lot of special events. But when I was really uh, tasked to be part of creating um, a, a safety plan, I felt a little bit deer in the headlights. So we thought that if we talked about how our plan was developed, maybe that that would help everybody else in in their plans. I think um, there's been some great discussion of what to include in your plan today. Um, I would say our first piece of advice, well, we put together a little sheet called 10 things that uh, we learned about writing a safety plan and those were at the check-in desk, uh, but we also have extra copies available if anybody needs a copy here. Um, I think there's some folks out here who can help um, pass those out or get them to you afterwards. Um, but the very first thing that we did is we encourage everybody to plagiarize. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a large festival similar in size to our event, um, Twin Cities Pride, and uh, we learned about them. Their uh, safety manager also happened to be the safety manager for the Republican uh, National Convention in Minneapolis. So he had extensive FEMA training and they wrote a fantastic plan. It was really great and they were willing to share. So we got a copy of their plan and that was really the beginning of our plan in terms of, of being a, a, a template. Um, and we're willing to share our plan. Um, I believe the uh, special events office has copies that they can email out to people. So you're welcome to take a look at that and use it as a starting place. But that said, I think it's very important to say, yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but actually you kind of have to reinvent the wheel. Because there were lots of different risks, a different place that um, Twin Cities Pride was using that didn't apply to us. And there were lots of risks that we had that we really had to think through. So I think looking at somebody else's plan is a really helpful way to get an idea of what are the risks that you are facing, but you really need to make a plan that is customized for your event that will, that will really address your particular needs. Um, another thing that we sort of made a, a change was we changed from calling it an emergency plan to a safety plan. And um, we are very lucky to have uh, an operations manager who um, has, uh, has great expertise. She's one of those people who've, who had to stand at the end, um, though you probably couldn't tell. Um, but <laughs> she, um, she uh, uh, has some great thoughts about emergency plans versus safety plans. Thanks, Rex. Um, as Rex said, we started out years and years ago with an emergency response plan, um, and I and I know that there are some events that still have an emergency response plan, um, and that's all well and good, but that type of plan is, is pretty reactive. There's no, um, 
or there's very little investment to um, pre-planning, to safety planning. There's very little attention to all of our stakeholders, um, the public, vendors, volunteers, staff, property, on and on. Um, Switching from an emergency response plan, which is reactive to a safety plan, um, is, is actually being proactive. It's putting thought into your plan um, prior to being on site. It includes your institutional goals, your commitment. Uh, it includes a lot of pre-event planning, a lot of pre-event planning and post-event reporting. It includes event operations, public health, food safety, structural requirements, all the items that have been discussed, been discussed before we got up here, so you know all of those. Um, also part of your our safety plan is an alcohol policy. Um, I know that there are a lot of events who include an alcohol policy, but ours is included in the safety plan for your review. Along those lines, I'd like to introduce Lindsay Barella. Uh, for those of you who don't know what TIPS training is, we have found that to be an incredibly effective tool um, and part of our safety planning. Hi everyone, um, as Carol mentioned, my name is Lindsay Barella and I am the beverage manager for Denver Pride Fest. Um, over the last several years, as they have mentioned, they take safety very seriously and it's, it's everything from what you think of, what we've discussed today, down to some of the smaller details, including alcohol safety at their event. And as the festival has grown, so has their beverage program. They actually have two TIPS trainers um, available as resources. They have an in-house with Julie, who is their volunteer coordinator. And then as their beverage manager, I am also a TIPS train, or a certified TIPS trainer. Um, quickly, you know, there's a whole nother discussion that we can do on alcohol safety. Um, but TIPS, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a really, really terrible acronym. It stands for Teaching Intervention Procedures. So take the P and the S from procedures. Acronyms really aren't their thing. Um, but what they are really good at is making sure that you guys have a basic understanding of what to look out for when selling alcohol. Um, alcohol sales is a great revenue source for any event, but with it comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of liability. Um, what I would say is at the bare minimum, I would encourage every event to have their senior management as well as as many people on their beverage team tips trained, whether it's tips or another version of alcohol safety training. Um, of course, that's going to come down to budget. There is a fee that it, that's associated with it. So look at your budget numbers. Think how many can you do, um, whether it's just your beverage manager and they pass the information on. Pride really, again, takes it seriously. They go as far as having some of their volunteer groups that are in the stands. Uh, their leaders have to be TIPS trained. So we can do more on TIPS training, but we'll talk about the general safety plan. Um, I, I want to echo what was said in the previous um, uh, presentation about really examining the risks that your event faces. I think um, when I came into the safety planning process, I really was thinking about things like maybe active shooter um, or, or some of those types of issues and really realized, yeah, weather really is a, wit a risk that we would face and that we really have to have a plan for that. Or um, food safety really being a risk that we really need to address. Um, so those things have been addressed in our plan. Also, um, a command structure. So uh, we have uh, 
everyone on our team knows what their role is and where to go and what to do should there be an emergency where we need to make a decision. I think it's important to point out while we do have some paid staff um, who are part of this event, we have an extremely large volunteer core, about 400 volunteers over the weekend help make Pride Fest happen. So we need to have really good um, communication and um, we've had a great partnership with the cell the last uh, year or so where every one of those volunteers gets some basic safety training before their shift begins. So those, are, those are, have been very helpful. Um, it's also important that it's not just my plan, it's our plan. I think that's a great insight. Um, we've worked with all our team members to come up with this plan and we've worked with everybody to review it every year. There's been several things during this morning's um, presentation where we said, yeah, we really should include that. Let's get that, let's get that in there. So we'll be reviewing and reworking our plan again this year um, to try and make it more thorough and address other risks that may have come up. Um, and I think also really continuing to work with our partners in law enforcement and in emergency response teams. Um, I think while we're willing to share our plan, there's some information that we'll need to keep secure so that we're not putting our event at risk. Um, and those might be where we're handling money or where our um, team is going to gather in the event of a, of a emergency so that, so that we're able to operate in a secure environment. And I think the other really important thing to bring up is that um, at the end of the day, law enforcement really is in charge. If we can do everything we can to try and make it a safe festival, and we can really do everything we can to try and prevent an, um, an emergency from happening. But if there's an event, then um, ultimately it is a crime scene, and that we need to have a structure that is going to respond um, in concert with law enforcement, and in a way that's going to Make, make this the best possible situation for emergency responders um, and so that we can really follow their lead. Um, I think the final little bonus point we put on our sheet was making sure this information is available. Um, this, is a, uh, this is something I think you always hear when you talk about strategic planning or any kind of planning is like don't write the plan and then let it sit on the shelf and get dusty. You have to have the plan available to you. Um, you have to have the plan available to you in a way that if all the electricity's gone or the cell phone service is gone or something like that, you're still able to get to that and make decisions. And um, it's also practice, practice, practice. Um, we have uh, regular, um, every, every year we have a field trip down to the festival site a couple weeks in advance of the festival where we go through the layout, we go through the response in, in various situations with all our vendors, and um, we also have safety trainings that we do every year uh, so that, uh, that our volunteers really feel well equipped.